Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. A Cut Above with Tom Hoy is proudly sponsored by Mod Shoes. Smart shoes for smart people. Shop the latest range of men's and women's clothing and footwear over at modshoes.co.uk. From Manchester, England to Brooklyn, USA, I'm Tom Hoy and you're listening to A Cut Above, right here on The Face Radio. One, two, one, two. Yeah, 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 yeah
it so happens that Miles is anything but miles away. He's sitting right here across the table from me. Miles, why don't you say hello? Hello? Yeah, hello. Miles, what do you say that uh, we make a little historical thing out of this show tonight and delve a little into your background? Uh, where were you born? East St. Louis, Illinois. Right across the river, huh? Yeah. So you're practically a St. Louis boy. Now, as I understand it, Miles, your father is a dentist. Yeah, he's a doctor over in East St. Louis. Uh-huh. He's been practicing over there for about 20 years? About 20. And as I understand it, he's quite well respected in the community of East St. Louis and has a wonderful practice. And it was only natural that uh, in Miles' uh, formative years that uh, the elder Davis uh, expected Miles to become a dentist. But uh, when the turning point came, when the crossroads presented themselves, uh, well, I think we'll let Miles tell it. What did your father say to you, Miles, about your future? Well, everybody expected me to be a dentist. Well, he said, uh, I, asked, I told him that I wanted to go to Juilliard Institute. Study music. Mm-hmm. Hello and welcome to A Cut Above with me, Tom Hoy, right here on The Face Radio. If you're new to the show, each episode I take a look at a different style icon, scene or movement and explore what makes them so cool. Now, there's many kings of cool, and you could go on for hours arguing who should rightfully wear the crown, but one thing's for certain, if you are arguing away who it should be, Miles Davis certainly would be on the list as a potential heir to the throne. Miles Davis, the legendary jazz trumpeter, was not only known for his groundbreaking music, but also for his unique sense of style. In the 50s and 60s, Davis became an icon of Ivy style, a fashion movement that originated from the Ivy League colleges in the United States. Ivy style emphasised a clean-cut, classic and conservative look, often featuring tailored clothing and traditional patterns. During this period, Davis often sported well-tailored suits, typically in neutral colours like grey, brown or navy blue. These suits were characterised by their slim fit and clean lines, which accentuated Davis's slender and elegant frame. Ivy-style suits typically had natural shoulders, minimal padding and single-breasted jackets, reflecting a more relaxed and approachable demeanour compared to the more formal and structured suits of the previous decades. A crucial aspect of Davis's wardrobe was the adoption of button-down collar shirts. Ivy Style popularised this shirt style, which was originally derived from English polo players, but Miles Davis was frequently seen wearing button-down shirts with various patterns such as stripes, checks and solids. The button-down collar shirt added a touch of informality to his overall look whilst maintaining a sense of sophistication. One of the most iconic wardrobe choices for Miles Davis was, of course, the green shirt he wore on the cover of his 1958 album, Milestones. This shirt, often referred to as the Milestone shirt, is a long-sleeved olive green Oxford shirt. It became an emblematic piece of Davis's style, and the cover of the album itself became iconic in jazz history. The Milestone shirt exemplifies the simplicity and understated elegance of Ivy style, Oxford shirts were a staple in the wardrobes of Ivy League students and became a symbol of casual yet refined fashion. Davis's choice to wear the shirt on an album cover was a bold statement, as it deviated from the traditional formal attire usually associated with jazz musicians at the time. Miles Davis's wardrobe choices in the 50s and 60s not only reflected the Ivy style, but also showcased his unique fashion sensibility. His ability to blend classic tailored pieces with more relaxed and contemporary elements, contributed to his iconic and timeless image. 
solidifying his place as a cultural and style icon. Now, for rights reasons, we can't play more than three of Miles' tracks on the show, but that doesn't mean we can't have a deep dive into his career. I'll be exploring music of his collaborators and friends, as well as carefully selecting those three songs from Miles Davis's legendary back catalogue. Throughout my show, whilst you're listening to the music, why not go and check out my social media for style guides, clothing reviews, and more. I'm on Instagram at TomTheMod, Twitter at TomTheModDJ, and you can find my Facebook page, Tom Hoy. I've also got quite a few videos on YouTube you can check out where you can find them by searching for Tom the Mod. Anyway, we'd best start with our first Miles track of the night. You're listening to a cut above the style of Miles Davis with me, Tom Hoy. And this is Roundabout Midnight. <laughs>
Welcome back. If you've just tuned in, you are, of course, listening to A Cut Above, The Style of Miles Davis, with me, Tom Hoy, right here on The Face Radio. And that, of course, was Round About Midnight. In 1955, Miles Davis delivered a memorable performance at the Newport Jazz Festival of the song we just heard, Round About Midnight. This jam session featured an all-star lineup, including the song's composer Thelonious Monk, as well as Connie Kay and Percy Heath from the Modern Jazz Quartet, Zoot Sims and Jerry Mulligan. Davis's solo left a lasting impression on both jazz enthusiasts and critics, generating widespread praise. Despite the acclaim, Davis maintained his characteristically modest response, stating, What are they talking about? I just played the way I always play. His innate talent and unique playing style were evident in this performance, solidifying his reputation as a groundbreaking musician. Something that I always remember when I think of that festival is what Miles Davis was wearing, of course. And I think a lot of you at home will know exactly what I'm talking about right now. It was that gorgeous seersucker jacket, the granddad collar shirt and the sunglasses. What an ensemble. And I mean, so many people, including me, have tried to recreate that look over the years but no one will ever look as cool 
See a sucker is something that I think just goes hand in hand with Miles Davis. And as soon as I think of him, I either think of the green shirt or that see a sucker jacket. The history of see a sucker fabric and clothing dates back several centuries and has evolved through different cultures and regions. See a sucker is a lightweight cotton fabric known for its distinctive puckered and striped texture, which provides excellent breathability and comfort making it a popular choice for warm weather clothing. Its origin in India, the term siyasukha, is derived from the Persian words shia for milk and shaka for sugar. The fabric was originally woven in the Indian subcontinent and its development can be traced back to ancient textiles like sira-i-saka and sira-o-shaka, which were known for their puckered appearance. Its introduction to the West. Siyasukha was introduced to the Western world through trade routes and it became known in the United States during the British colonial era. British colonists and traders saw the practicality of the fabric in the hot and humid climates of the Indian subcontinent and it gradually gained popularity in the West for similar reasons. Also at the Jazz Festival was George Avacane representing Columbia Records. His brother Aaron persuaded him that signing Davis to the label would be a wise decision, to put it lightly. Consequently, Davis joined Columbia Records and he wasted no time assembling his first great quintet, which featured the legendary John Coltrane on saxophone, and this collaboration led to the groundwork for Davis's groundbreaking work with the label. Round About Midnight became Davis's first album under Columbia Records, although he was still under contract with Prestige, Davis negotiated an agreement allowing him to record material for Columbia, which could be released after his prestige contract expired. Recording for the album took place at Columbia Studios, starting with a session on October 26, 1955 at Studio D. This session marked the quintet's first studio recording, featuring the track Olucha, along three other numbers that were not included in the final album. Additional recording sessions occurred on June the 5th, 1956, featuring Dear Old Stockholm, Bye Bye Blackbird and Tad's Delight. Another session followed on September the 10th, 1956, capturing performances of All of You and the title track Round About Midnight at Columbia's esteemed 30th Street studio. It's worth noting that during the same period, the Miles Davis Quintet was also fulfilling its contract with Prestige by recording sessions for the label. The creation of Roundabout Midnight marked a pivotal moment in Miles Davis's career, showcasing his remarkable talent and setting the stage for many more groundbreaking records to come. In the cover of Roundabout Midnight, I think we actually we do see a hint of Miles Davis's Ivy League style, which was a notable aspect of his fashion choice during the 50s and 60s. In the photograph, Miles is dressed in a seersucker jacket, a hallmark of Ivy style, a refined yet relaxed look. The look showcases Davis's sartorial elegance, reflecting the Ivy League's emphasis on traditional and timeless fashion. The Ivy League style, as we know, was popularised by students and at elite American universities like Harvard, Yale and Princeton during the mid-20th century, and it was characterised by its emphasis on simplicity, quality materials, and a blend of casual and formal elements. Davis's choice of clothing for the album cover demonstrated his sophisticated taste in fashion, and aligned with the broader cultural fascination with Ivy Style at the time. 
The simplicity of the outfit allowed the focus to remain on Davis's enigmatic persona and the emotional depth of his music. Moreover, Davis's Ivy League style extended beyond his clothing choices and was reflected in his demeanour and approach to life. Like the ethos of the Ivy League universities, Davis exuded an air of refinement, intellectualism and confidence, both on and off the stage. In the 50s and 60s, jazz musicians, particularly those associated with bebop and post-bop movements, adopted Ivy League style as a form of rebellion against societal norms and racial discrimination. The adoption of Ivy style was a way of these musicians to assert their identity, challenge racial stereotypes and carve out a distinct cultural space for themselves. Ivy style allowed jazz musicians to create a unique and independent identity that was separate from the dominant cultural norms of the time. By wearing tailored suits, button-down shirts and classic accessories, they presented a refined, sophisticated image that challenged stereotypes of African Americans as uncultured or less sophisticated. I'd really recommend Black Ivy, A Revolt in Style by Graham Marsh and Jason Jules. In Black Ivy, Marsh and Jules delve into how black Americans embraced and adopted Ivy League style, adding their unique flair and cultural influence to the fashion. The book highlights the significance of black style icons and how they contributed to the evolution of Ivy style within black American communities. As authors, they trace the historical context of Black Ivy style, exploring how it emerged as a means of self-expression, empowerment and cultural assertion, and they discuss how Ivy style became a platform for black Americans to challenge stereotypes, assert their identity and navigate racial boundaries in America. Throughout the book, Marsh and Jules celebrate the individuality of creativity of Black Ivy fashion, whilst also recognising its cultural impact. They showcase a variety of fashion icons, musicians, athletes, politicians and other influential figures who have contributed to the unique blend of Ivy style with black American sensibilities. By combining historical insights, stunning visuals and engaging narratives, Black Ivy sheds a light on the significance of the style as a form of cultural expression and highlights the contributions of black Americans to the world of fashion. It's one of my favourite books. Make sure you can check it out if you haven't already had a chance to have a look at it. Now it's time for another track now. And showcasing Miles's work on someone else's album, it is of course Something Else by Cannonball Adderley. And I'm going to play Autumn Leaves for you, a track that beautifully showcases Miles's signature tone of trumpet playing, where he really steals the show. Thank you. 
Thank <laughs> you.
Autumn Leaves by Cannonball Adderley with Miles Davis, of course, playing that beautiful trumpet tone right there. I'm Tom Hoy, and you're listening to A Cut Above, the style of Miles Davis, right here on The Face Radio. Remember, you can give me a follow on social media. I'm on Instagram at TomTheMod, on Twitter at TomTheModDJ, and over on Facebook. That's the one that's left, isn't it? We're on Facebook at Tom Hoy. You can find my page there. I keep saying Twitter, but what's it called now? It's X something, isn't it? It's. Uh, I heard someone the other day say it looks like a brand of energy drink, and I have to say I agree with them, so we will see how la- how long that one lasts. It's a strange place now, isn't it, Twitter? Anyway, back to more cool things, and when we're speaking of cool, we are speaking of Miles Davis, of course. Um, a couple of really cool things to share with you. In 1965, the legendary jazz critic and Esquire-style writer George Fraser dubbed Miles Davis the warlord of the Weegians in the liner notes of the Greatest Hits collection. What a cool nickname to have. I mean, I've heard Wayne Shorter say it about him as well in the uh, Miles Davis uh, documentary. Um, And it's such a cool kind of nickname to have, and it just kind of shows how much how much he was invested in Ivy style. And George Frazier wrote, before he got all freaky and avant-garde, Miles spent the late 40s and the mid-60s dressed in various iterations of conservative dapperness, from the Brooks Brothers suits he wore at the time of his 1949 recording, Birth of the Cool, to the slim European suits he sported for 1963's Seven Steps to Heaven. I mean, Brooks Brothers... You can't get more Ivy League than that, can you? A recently cool uh, Miles Davis story is I recently bought a shirt from All Blues Co. in Leeds. And if you follow me on Instagram, you may have saw the reel I made of visiting there recently. Um, uh, They do a collection of shirts uh, by Japanese brand Kamakura. Um, And it was actually made in collaboration with Black Ivy co-writer Graham Marsh. The shirt is based on the iconic button-down Oxford worn by Miles Davis on the cover of Milestones. Um, I've wanted one for ages. It sold out when it first came around. So when I saw they did a restock, I thought I need to go there and get myself one. And it's got that gorgeous um, Papa Breezy Ivy League fit you would have expected from the era. And yeah, it looks like you've just taken it straight off Miles' back and put it in the shop. It is gorgeous. But it's one of them things, in it? No matter where you wear it or when you wear it, you will not look as cool as Miles Davis. Um, if you are an English listener or you have plans to visit uh, the UK anytime soon or you're in the UK, not English, sorry, if you're just a UK citizen or you're a visitor from abroad, you should go and check out All Blues Co. Um, a shop so cool because it is named after a Miles Davis song, of course, of Kind of Blue. Um, Go and visit there. Um, There's so many cool things in there. It is Ivy Heaven. Um, The Kamakura range is really cool as well. Um, All Blues have actually done a little blurb on it, which I will share with you now, because it's worth reading out. Um, Because they do a shirt called the Amatura, Um, which is also a book which I would highly recommend. 
Um, and this, as well as gives us a description on the shirt, also gives a good description of the book. Amatura is a Japanese slang, is Japanese slang, sorry, for American traditional, the East Coast collegiate style that forged the Japanese menswear industry in the 60s. Our Amatura Oxford cloth button-down shirt in white or sax blue offers an authentic recreation of the dress shirts commonly seen on Madison Avenue in the 1950s. The shirt body uses the looser fit of that era and the long collar at 3.5 inches, which is the perfect uh, length for wearing with a necktie and navy blazer or for staying visible under a sweater. Other ivy-style details include a box pleat at the back and gathered sleeves on barrel cuffs. The Oxford cloth is woven in Japan from America Sea Island cotton and the six front buttons are made from white mother of pearl. Um, very much something Miles Davis would have worn and kind of anyone from that era really. Anyone you can think of. Probably one of your ancestors. I think just you can imagine those being worn up and down Madison Avenue like it says. Um, the Miles Davis one, the Kemakura range is so nice i don't think there are many stockists that do them in the uk not even john simon so all blues co go and check it out i'm sure there will be um stockists over there in the u.s for our u.s listeners um new york has everything doesn't it i mean i could have i could live there i love it those of you listening in that are proper new yorkers are probably saying no you couldn't it is stressful as hell but i can put up with that I'm all for it. An Englishman in New York. Anyway. I did mention a moment ago the book Amatura, and that description didn't actually go into depth about the book, did it? But um, it's very much worth uh, seeking out a copy of that. It's fantastic. Um, Kind of looks at, as I said, how the uh, Japanese saved American style. Um, All tells you all about how the GIs went over there over the after the war uh, the Japanese adopted the western kind of uh, style um, moved it on and kept it alive the Americans ended up buying back their old style templates to recreate this style because they they got rid of them so very interesting book go and grab yourself a copy one of my favorite collaborators with Miles Davis um particularly in uh, earlier on in his career, in the early 60s, was Herbie Hancock. And uh, I'm going to play for you now a pretty cool interview uh, with Herbie, talking about how he met Miles Davis and uh, what it was like to work with him. Uh, even before I actually officially worked with him, um, when he called Donald Byrd's house to speak to me, by the way, I'd heard that, Miles was looking for me. You know, these rumors were, were floating around, and I didn't believe a word of it. You know, but final, finally, Donald Byrd said to me, look, when Miles calls, tell him you're not working with anybody. I said, well, look, Donald, first of all, Miles is not going to call. Secondly, how could I do that to you? I've been working with you. You discovered me. You, you know, turned me on to having a publishing company. You... Got me my contract with Blue Note Records. You got me the, this car, the Cobra. He said, shut up, man. He said, <laughs> he said, if I ever stood in the way of a great opportunity of you working with Miles, he said, 
I couldn't look at myself in the mirror, you know, which was fantastic that he said that. The next day, phone calls, and it's Miles. First question was, you working with anybody? <laughs> I said, no. <laughs> so the next day, because uh, uh, Miles said, come to my house the next day, you know. And, uh, anyway, I got to his house, and Tony Williams was there, a great drummer. Ron Carter, a great bass player, was there. George Coleman, you know, great saxophonist, he was there. Um, and Miles played just a little bit, and then he threw his trumpet on the couch, and and then he ran upstairs and kind of left the, the, the duties to Ron Carter to, to, you know, have us go through a few tunes and play some things. I, I thought I was auditioning. And anyway, uh, on the third day, because um, Miles kept asking us to, you know, come over to the next day. Uh, but Miles did come down and played a little bit more. And then he said, okay, next week we're going to uh, meet at 1.30 at uh, Columbia Recording Studios. And, and I said, Miles, does that mean I'm in the band? Miles looked at me and had this kind of gleam in his eye, but he, he, he said some expletive, and then <laughs> he said, you're making the record, <laughs> you know. But what I found out years later was when Miles threw his horn down and ran upstairs, and this was like 20 or 25 years later, I found out that Miles went upstairs to his bedroom, and he was listening to us over the intercom. Because, like I said, I was scared. He knew that we were going to be nervous with him around. So he wanted to hear us, you know, unencumbered by, by that kind of fear. Which was fantastic and, and, and very compassionate of him to do that, you know. But that's the kind of person that Miles was. Credit to SiriusXM for that interview. Uh, a fantastic interview um, of uh, Herbie Hancock there um, speaking about what it was like to work with Miles Davis. Um, um, when I was doing my research, I found out that Miles Davis told Herbie Hancock, I don't pay you just to play and get applause. I want you to try new things, brand new stuff. And Herbie told him some of it's maybe not going to work. And Miles says, don't worry about the audience. I got the audience. Herbie's time with Miles Davis came to an end in 1968 when he got married. He told his wife, we can either have a big wedding in New York and have all our friends join us and give us presents we don't want, or we can get first-class tickets to Rio de Janeiro and spend our honeymoon at a top hotel. Um, and she said, where's my ticket? So that was the end of that. Herbie Hancock is one of my favourite musicians ever, and I'm going to play a track now for you. Um, off probably my favourite one of his albums and it is from Inventions and Dimensions from 1963 and this track is Mimosa
Welcome back. You are listening to A Cut Above right here on The Face Radio with me, Tom Hoy, for this Miles Davis-style special. Speaking of one style icon and going over to another that probably gets to mention every show because it's really hard not to mention him when you're talking of style icons and it is, of course, you guessed it, Steve McQueen. But it has relevance, I promise. In the William Claxton book, Um, of photography of Steve McQueen there's a fantastic picture of Steve uh, in his Palm Strings bungalow uh, playing through some of his records and not taking good care of him I might add, he looks like he's either stood on one or almost stood on one but amongst the pile on the floor of his records is a number of jazz albums and a lot of them are Miles Davis ones um it's a brilliant picture. I'm sure if you haven't seen it, you will love it just as much as I do. Really, really cool. Um, other albums on there include uh, Sonny Rollins, Frank Sinatra and Count Basie. Um, but I'm going to play you now a track that is in that collection there. And it's probably one of my favourite Miles Davis records that's really grown on me. Um, I think when I first heard it, I was a bit like, well, it, it doesn't sound like the rest of them. Have you guessed what it is yet? It is Sketches of Spain by Miles Davis. And this is the first track on that album, Concerto de Aranjue. Here it is.
This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. 
Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.
Miles Davis, Sketches of Spain. You're listening to A Cut Above right here on The Face Radio with me, Tom Hoy. Now, I had to play that in its entirety. It's just such a beautiful piece of music. Um, and obviously, that's track two or three of the Miles Davis tunes we'll be playing this evening. So I had to make the most of that one. I really hope you enjoyed that one. Uh, Miles Davis, Sketches of Spain is an iconic album. Um, that stood the test of time, I think, and it just carried, keeps going strength to strength to generation to generation. It's considered one of Davis's most adventurous and influential works and showcases his ability to blend jazz with elements of Spanish and classical music. The album is a collaboration between Miles Davis and the renowned arranger and composer Gil Evans, who had previously worked together on the critically acclaimed Miles Ahead. The concept for Sketches of Spain was to explore the rich and evocative sounds of Spanish music whilst infusing it with Davis's distinct jazz style. The album features an ensemble of musicians, including Davis's regular quintet, as well as additional musicians who contributed to the Spanish-flavoured arrangements. The instrumentation includes trumpets, French horns, flutes, clarinets, bassoons and a full orchestra. The tracklist of Sketches of Spain includes several compositions that draw inspiration from traditional Spanish music, along with pieces that evoke the atmosphere and spirit of Spain. The standout tracks on the album are Concerto de Orangue, which we just heard. This is the centrepiece of the album, based on the famous classical composition by Spanish composer Jacoín Rodrigo. Miles Davis's poignant trumpet playing weaves beautifully with the lush orchestral arrangements by Gil Evans, creating a mesmerising and emotional experience. The second is Will of the Wisp, inspired by Manuel de Fala's ballet El Amor Bujo. This piece features Davis's lyrical trumpet solos and showcases the seamless integration of jazz and Spanish music. The next one, Saita, a slow and mournful piece, drawing inspiration from traditional Spanish religious processional song at uh, the sorry the religious processional song known as Saita and the next one is Soleil the final track on the album it is an extended and evocative composition that captures the essence of flamenco music featuring both Davis's trumpet and Gil Evans' Gil Evans's masterful orchest- oh, orchestration wow lots of mouthfuls there Miles Davis's Sketches of Spain was met with critical acclaim upon its release and has since become one of the most highly regarded albums in jazz history. It was praised for its innovative blend of musical styles, Davis's emotive and evocative trumpet playing, and the skillful arrangements by Gil Evans. The album's success has also played a significant role in popularising the concept of, an incorporate, of incorporating elements of world music into jazz, paving the way for future explorations in the genre. Overall, Sketches of Spain remains a timeless masterpiece, showcasing the creative genius of Miles Davis and his ability to push boundaries of jazz, making it a must-listen for jazz enthusiasts just like me. Well, something I quite like about it as well, which made me rediscover it, I was re-watching Mad Men for maybe like the 50th time, I don't know what it was, but I think it's in the first series... Um, one of Don Draper's affairs in the village, which incidentally was my favourite part of New York I visited. I really liked it around there. But um, uh, one of his affairs, 
he goes around the uh, house, she's considerably younger, and all her hippie friends are around. And they're all uh, smoking marijuana, and one of them says, we're going to listen to Miles and get high, and Don Draper has his first joint, and listens to sketches of Spain. Um, and it's just a really cool scene. It shows how popular Miles Davis was at the time, um, and it shows that jazz music was the pop music of its day, particularly Miles Davis. He was a jazz musician, but he was a rock star at the same time. And he was a guy that wouldn't kind of talk about genre. He didn't agree with genre. So, no, he wasn't a rock star. And no, he wasn't a jazz musician. Contradictory, I know. But um, the clothes in that that, uh, Mad Men episode, and just the whole series altogether, just really absolutely spot on. That's something else. This, This show is full of recommendations, but if I had to recommend one thing to you, um, above everything else, to be to watch Mad Men, greatest TV series of all time, hands down. Um, but yeah, especially kind of the best scenes in it for style. Anyway, I think are when you see them in their informal clothing. Uh, there's a scene where Don Draper's uh, putting up a Wendy house for his daughter, and he's wearing Baswegians and knit and some um, kind of chinos, and. I don't know, for something that looks so smart now in our contemporary age, uh, back then, that was informal clothing, which it's funny to see how the roles are reversed, because nowadays that kind of clothing almost looks smarter than a suit, when really um, that's not where it comes from. Um, that is the That truly is meant to be informal clothing. But... Um, particularly for that era. If you love Miles Davis, I'm sure you'll like Mad Men and vice versa. Um, I'd like to know if um, any of you have taken on any of these um, uh, any of these suggestions. Um, if you know them all already, fair play. But if you don't and you've um, taken on any of them on board, I'd like to know what you think. Remember, this is a shameless pug, I'm on Instagram at TomTheMod, on Twitter at TomTheModDJ, and over on Facebook at my page, Tom Hoy. And don't forget, there's also a YouTube channel that you can find by searching for Tom Hoy. A look that I think I should mention um, that is one of my favourites of Miles Davis and is also a favourite of another style icon. None other than Martin Freeman is the pinstripe, uh, two-button, double-breasted uh, suit that you can see him wearing um, just during a recording session um, in 1959. It's a beautiful suit, but Martin Freeman actually had it recreated by um, Mark Powell. Uh, if you don't know Mark Powell, you should go and check him out too. Um, he's been tailor for all sorts of people. I did interview him on my old show on Totally Wired Radio on Go Go Power, but he has been the, uh, the tailor for uh, like David Bowie, uh, countless film stars, TV stars, actors, singers, all sorts of people. Um, really cool guy. Um, but yeah, it's um amazing kind of suit like that Miles Davis is wearing. It looks like the most impractical thing to um to kind of play in. Um, it kind of it doesn't look like something you'd be working in, definitely. But um, absolutely uh, amazing suit. There's a great quote I found by drummer Jimmy Cobb um, who says, I went by his house, he had a bunch of little funny-looking suits and things hanging in his closet, funny-looking shoes and hats and all of that. And I said, what's going on, man? 
Obviously, this episode is kind of focused on the earlier era of Miles Davis, more of his Ivy stage. Um, and whether you, you love it or hate it, his later uh, phase of dressing was the complete polar opposite of what people knew him for before. But um, Miles actually says that um, his wife at the time, Betty Davis, the singer, of course, um, was kind of pivotal in the way he dressed in the time. Uh, he said, she was full of new things and surprises and helped point the way I was to go. Betty was a big influence on my personal life as well as my musical life. She also helped me change the way I was dressing. At that point, that's where he really did reinvent himself, didn't he? The music sounded nothing like the old uh, 50s and 60s uh, bebop. It was its own thing. Um, you'd go and see a concert not knowing what you were going to hear at all. The, the songs were, I mean, of course, all of his stuff was always improvised, but this was to the point where they were making up music on the stage. Um, and I wonder at the time um, how many heads that must have turned up and how many kind of diehard fans uh, he lost. But credit to him, he did what he wanted to do and um, he kept moving forward. The ultimate modernist. There's another great quote by Lenny White, um, who describes um, the, the, the Miles' fascination with cars. And he says, Miles Davis wore all the slick clothes and drove fast cars. We didn't want to play with Miles. We wanted to be Miles Davis. So he's almost even James Bond, isn't he? Um, apparently, um, he was given an advance one day and he bought a brand new Canary Yellow 308 GTSI Ferrari Sports Coupe with a Targa top to arrive in. I mean, buying a car just to arrive in, if that isn't being a rock star, I don't know what is. Lenny White then goes on to say, he bought that car just to show up at that gig, and yeah man, I bought a new shirt. He bought a Ferrari. A film that really does um, show off uh, Miles Davis's rock star side um, was Miles Ahead um, and Don Cheadle plays Miles Davis and it's a really really good film um, I suggest you go and watch that if, um, if you're a Miles Davis fan it's really cool an excellent biopic of a particular era of Miles's life it does look back at the early kind of the early days the 50s and 60s but it primarily focuses later on in his career um, and his comeback into um music um during his little period of not making music and it's kind of him getting back into it um here's the trailer if you're gonna tell a story come with some attitude man uh, miles davis my name's dave braden rolling stone magazine i'm here to do your comeback story okay move, move back a little bit yeah. don't send people to my house you have new material my material my session tape. You're under contract here. We actually own that tape. Miles! You own? How much money you got on you? Okay, you about 19,000 light, but that's a start. I moved to New York, met some cats, made some music. Studied piano too, huh? Nah, just woke up black, knew how to play. You're black? The music don't move on in this dead music. It's all about improvisation. Francis, I'm gonna send a plane to pick you up. I need you. I love you. 
It's a mystoma. Hey, what? You call him right now, tell him you're coming over. Can't take y'all over there, man. He'll kill me. You don't do what I say. I'm gonna kill you. It takes a long time to be able to play like yourself. I gave up everything for you, Miles. I deserve better than this. Hey, hold it, buddy. Hold it. Do you have a ticket? You're looking at it. You're trying to piss me off, man. You don't know what the word lose means, do you, Miles? Give my music back. Go, 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 go. This is madness. I am not dying over this jazz tape. Don't call it jazz, man. That's some made-up word. It's social music. Miles Ahead starring Don Cheadle as Miles Davis. It's a really cool film. Honestly, really recommend you go and check that one out. I've only seen it once, so I might even go back and watch that again. And it amazingly, uh, when you're watching it, you're thinking, oh, there's no way Don Cheadle's actually playing trumpet. That's been dubbed. He's actually playing it. He turns out he does play trumpet, but he... um, Learned a lot of the Miles Davis solos for the film, which is absolutely incredible because he nails it. Um, fantastic film. Go and check it out. Uh, so now, from people playing Miles Davis to people covering Miles Davis, uh, I've got a cover f- to play now, and it's a really cool one. It's by Grant Green, and it's a cover of So What from Kind of Blue. Here it is. <laughs> Thank you. 
Welcome back. You're listening to A Cut Above with me, Tom Hoy, right here on The Face Radio for this style of Miles Davis special. You can follow me all across my social media. I'm on Instagram at TomTheMod, on Twitter at TomTheModDJ, and over on my Facebook page, you can find me at Tom Hoy. Um, that was, of course, Grant Green covering the fabulous Miles Davis track, um, So What?, Grant Green was an influential jazz guitarist known for his distinctive playing style and contributions to the soul, jazz and hard bop genres. He was born in St. Louis, just like Miles Davis, and began playing guitar at an early age. Green's musical journey was shaped by the sounds of the blues, gospel and R&B, which he he later fused with jazz to create his unique and soulful approach to the instrument. In the late 50s, Green moved to New York City and quickly became a sought-after sideman, playing alongside prominent musicians like Lou Donaldson, Jimmy Smith and Lee Morgan. He made his recording debut as a leader in 1961 with the album Grant's First Stand, which he received critical acclaim for and helped establish his reputation as a notable jazz guitarist. Green's playing was characterised by his impeccable impeccable sense of time, smooth phrasing and melodic approach to his improvisation. He often employed single note lines and fluid chloral voicings which lent a singing quality to his solos. Green's sound on the guitar was also distinctive due to his frequent use of the thumb technique where he plucked the strings with his thumb instead of a pick. Throughout the 60s, Green released numerous albums for Blue Note Records contributing to the label's legacy during the golden era of jazz. Some of his most notable recordings showcased his ability to effortlessly blend blues, funk and soul elements into his jazz compositions, making him accessible to a wider audience beyond traditional jazz enthusiasts. Now we're going to play a song that Miles Davis covered, and it was, of course, featured on his Milestone album, but uh, it was originally by Thelonious Monk, And it is, of course, Straight No Chaser.
Well, just as Thelonious Monk brings us to a close, it is unfortunately the end of another Cut Above, for this month anyway, on The Face Radio. It's been an absolute pleasure as always. I've been Tom Hoy, and this has been a Cut Above, the clothing style of Miles Davis. I hope you've enjoyed this stylish journey into the sartorial world of the jazz legend. From his impeccably tailored suits to his iconic sunglasses, Miles Davis's fashion choices were just as influential and groundbreaking as his music. Well, I did say at the top of the show as well, I was going to play three Miles Davis songs throughout, and we've still got one left. I can't think of one better that pays a little nod to the shop I mentioned earlier. Do you remember what it was? Well, if you don't, it was, of course, All Blues Co. And, of course, that means it's time to play All Blues from Kind of Blue. Wherever you are, thank you so much for tuning in. Take care, all the best. Remember, you can follow me on Instagram at TomTheMod, on Twitter at TomTheModDJ, and on Facebook at TomHoy. But for now, see you next month. Goodbye.
serves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, It's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.